This is Community Pulse, your local report on the coronavirus pandemic in mid-Missouri. You can catch Community Pulse Mondays and Wednesdays at 9 a.m. on KOPN. And all episodes can be found online at kopn.org and on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Today on the show, Dr. Elizabeth Alleman joins us to discuss vaccine side effects and complications, and in particular, the, pl- the blood clots associated with the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Good morning, Dr. Alleman. Nice to have you. Good morning, Messina. Thanks so much for the introduction and for being um, such a careful engineer. So, um, yeah, I think I was just listening to the weather report and thinking about how many of us have been um, really leaning into spring and um, there's going to be a frost. So those of us who are gardeners are covering up our some of our plants and those of us who maybe have some fruit trees are wondering what's going to happen to them. And, you know, really feeling for all the farmers with this unseasonable weather and making the correlation with many of us feel like we're done with this pandemic and ready to start to gather and hug our friends and reopen our businesses and resume our our lives. Um, And I think that we need to just really be um, thoughtful that we are like in that that springtime where it's not time to put out tomato plants yet. Um, so uh, we continue to have the, the um, COVID-19 virus continues to spread and mutate and make people sick. People are still getting sick, getting hospitalized and dying around the world. Um, cases are continuing to increase pretty rapidly. Um, in the United States, we are slowly having a slow increase in cases. So, you know, we're up 10 percent or so from two weeks ago. Um, We are continuing to see our death rates uh, fall. People are still dying, but because um, uh, our elders have gotten, uh, most of our elders have gotten vaccinated, we are seeing uh, lower death rates. Um, And we're, you know, Michigan is uh, really worrisome to me. Um, They are having some of the highest rates they've had uh, for the entire pandemic right now. Their hospitals are at 95% capacity. Uh, their healthcare workers are really strained. <clears throat> their governor seems to have um, uh, has decided. I'm not going to project. Has decided not to implement uh, more strict uh, uh, social distancing restrictions. Uh, there's a fair amount of vaccine hesitancy, and um, they've it, and people are gathering. Um, uh, so, and, and I'm concerned that we in Missouri may see this happen here. Uh, I don't know why it's happening in uh, Michigan and not here. They do have colder weather, but this doesn't. This phenomenon does not seem to be happening yet in Wisconsin or Minnesota, which has very similar weather. And it does not seem to be affecting the upper peninsula of Michigan in the same way, which has colder weather than the than the lower mitten part of the state. And uh, I, the best I can guess is that they seem to have gotten unlucky with the arrival of the B117 variant first, um, first identified in Kent, England, that is more contagious, uh, seems to cause more serious illness. 
and uh, may be uh, affecting younger people at the same time when they did not yet have their vaccine numbers up high enough to prevent spread and people were done with restrictions and lockdowns and um, uh, cold weather. So again, I'm not I'm not sure why it is that it's happening there, but um, when you look at the map the New York Times has out by county, you can see that it's pretty restricted to the state uh, political boundaries. Um, so it is concerning to me, and I am reminding myself that this is the home stretch, not the finish line, and that as much as I am tired of doing all these things, um, I am continuing to do many of them, even though as a fully vaccinated person, I have begun to very thoughtfully and carefully hug some people. <laughs> and it's felt amazing. And I'm watching case numbers, and if case numbers in Boone County go up, I'm going to stop. So uh, anyway, that's a segue into case numbers in Boone County. Our um, five-day average is still hovering around 10 to 20 as far as new cases. Testing numbers are down. Uh, test positivity rate is uh, around 11%. Again, ideally, uh, from epidemiologists, we'd be doing enough tests so that our test rate, our test positivity rate would be less than 5%. Um, and the state of Missouri tends it's a, a pattern that seems to be mirroring the United States, and that is that we're slowly seeing increases in cases. Um, and uh, significant numbers of counties are no longer reporting cases, which makes us wonder what the numbers really are. So um, I wanted to, let's see, talk about, so there's a, there a nice article in the USA Today trying to pick apart what's going on in Michigan. And it appears that um, it's sort of a perfect storm that there was an outbreak in prison in a prison, and um, there were uh, outbreaks among school athletics. So there were 48 new outbreaks in schools, grades K through 12, and 39 new outbreaks associated with manufacturing and construction, 27 new outbreaks associated with child care and youth programs, 23 new outbreaks associated with office settings, and 23 new outbreaks associated with restaurants and bars. And among um, sports, um, it seems like most of them were associated with uh, basketball and hockey, <clears throat> each of them having around 300 new cases. But uh, wrestling, cheerleading, dancing, and ballet, karate, and football. Football, only 14 cases, uh, likely because it happens outside. Um, but they were also noting that... Uh, uh, citizens who were contacted uh, by the health department. The health department is having a hard time getting people to answer their calls, to talk to them on the phone, to talk about who their contacts were, and to cooperate with testing and um, uh, uh, isolation or quarantine. And uh, there was the public health officials were getting a fair amount of pushback from school officials and uh, athletic coaches and supporters. Um, so I, I could see all of those things happening in Missouri. It, I can't imagine that we're going to respond much differently if that happens here. 
and it makes me hope that more people will get vaccinated. So we did pass an interesting milestone in the United States regarding vaccination, that yesterday apparently 50% of adults have had one vaccine, which is great and something to be uh, uh, celebrated and excited about. It is not enough to really slow the transmission and as much as we were hoping. Um, and vaccination is complicated by the news about the Johnson & Johnson vaccine and associated blood clots with it. And the first thing I want to say is that something like this, although it's really disappointing and it's very concerning, and I have a lot of compassion for the individuals who were affected by this, reading some of the case reports is really <clears throat> very uh, heartbreaking. Um, we also could have, could have predicted that we were going to see complications in um, the rollout to the public that we did not see in the phase three trial. So our phase three trials included between 30 and 45,000 people, half of whom got a placebo or a, an inactive shot. And that is large enough to see um, uh, the, the most common complications or side effects. But we are just know that we're going to see things, maybe you should say, you can't really predict what you're going to see when you haven't done it yet. So let's back up. We could know that our studies were not statistically powerful enough to detect um, with any accuracy side effects that happen in the one in a million um, incidence rate. And so many of us think about actually when we go from a phase three trial and then roll out any new drug or therapy or intervention into the general population that we think of it sort of like a phase four trial, that now we're going to see what happens when we go from tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands or millions of people. And sure enough, now we have some complications that are serious and appear to happen in the one to 20 or 30 per million people who take it. And it's just really hard with the statistics we have to really study things that happen that rarely. Um, it is hard to, when you start to gather data that includes millions of people, it is hard to gather that uniformly and in a way that doesn't get noisy and messy and confusing. And when we're trying to think about something like these interesting and scary and um, dangerous blood clots, um, it's hard to know whether this rare thing is happening more often after a vaccine than it was happening in the background of the population. But it appears that it probably is. So that's where we are. And I just want to describe a little bit what, <clears throat> what kinds of blood clots we're talking about. So lots of people get blood clots in. I mean, we want our blood to clot. It's supposed to clot when we bleed. But we're talking about blood clots that happen inside of the veins of the body. And we're talking about the large veins. Um, and often people think about blood clots that happen in their lower legs or in their thighs or in their pelvis because those um, are the most common places we see abnormal blood clotting. 
And the problem with those is they don't usually cause any damage where they are, but they're, they can, they're a little fragile and they can break off pieces. And now you have solid things floating in your bloodstream, which is not good for mainly livers and lungs and brains if they get to those places because they can um, cause those organs to not work the way they're supposed to. But in this case, what we're looking at is blood clots of a particular kind in a particular clinical setting that are in the large veins of the brain, the abdomen, and some in the lungs. Um, and they can happen in the legs and the pelvis, but we, we are noticing this unusual pattern of them happening in the brain and the abdomen. And people are going to hear words like cerebral sinus vein thrombosis, and that is the large veins in the brain. And then splanchnic or portal vein thrombosis, and those are the large veins in the abdomen that are going between the intestines and the liver. And those places don't usually clot, and they are difficult to study. And so if they do, if do clots do happen there, it can be hard to find them and diagnose them. So they may be underdiagnosed even before all of this. <clears throat> and they seem to be happening in a certain circumstance associated with bleeding. So um, with low platelet count, which can, uh, so you've got clotting and bleeding at the same time, which is a really difficult thing to treat. Um, so we think what's happening is it's similar to something that, we can, that can be caused by a blood thinner. So there's a blood thinner that's used often called heparin. And we have, over the last couple of decades, detected a syndrome of what's called heparin-induced and then there's a large word, basically blood clots and low platelet count, thrombocytopenic thrombosis, so it's H-I-T-T. -T. And that is some people, when they, you give them heparin, they develop a particular antibody that causes their platelets to clump. They get clots in places that we didn't expect them to get, and now they don't have enough platelets to keep their blood, keep from bleeding other places. So they get a particular kind of rash called petechiae, they start to have some oozing bleeding out of the small vessels, like in their gums or maybe in their intestines. And they also have a big blood clot that causes abdominal pain, maybe liver distension, or in their brain, it looks like a stroke. So um, that is a rare clinical phenomenon for all those things to happen together. And it seems like that is made more common by the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, the AstraZeneca vaccine, and some new data out of Oxford University says that that is also a little bit more common. It's more common after COVID-19 infection and after vaccination with the mRNA vaccines as well, but does not seem to be associated with other infections, the one they looked at with influenza. Yeah, so, um, and so, when we noticed this was associated with the Johnson & Johnson vaccine in the United States, um, the Centers for Disease Control and the FDA decided to recommend a pause in the vaccine, in the administration of that vaccine. While we gather more data and while we talk to clinicians, doctors and nurses, um, 
about how to treat this and how to detect it. Um, and so we have done that, and that is exactly the way a rollout of a new medicine is supposed to happen. Uh, we're supposed to be watching for rare side effects and complications. And then we're supposed to stop and think and pause while we gather more data. Um, and the data, we're still like it's all pre-peer-reviewed. Some of it's been published. It's not the best data we have. I mean, it's the best data we have. It's not the best data we're going to have. But it appears that COVID-19 disease is associated with these rare blood clots as well. And it is more common, maybe. It may be more common, like by a factor of 10, after infection with COVID-19 than it is after vaccination. And it may be about the same incidence or a little bit higher after mRNA vaccination than it is after these um, Johnson & Johnson and AstraZeneca, both of which are um, adenovirus vaccines. And nobody knows why that I've been able to find. Maybe somebody knows why. I have not been able to find an explanation that um, explains it um, about why we would be getting this. But there is, um, the CDC does have some really clear guidelines this week about um, what to do if we're um, if we think that this might be happening. So we think that the, the, these rare complications can happen between, they're so far we're, they're reporting to happen between about a week to two weeks after vaccination or a week to two weeks after getting um, COVID-19, that they cause um, the symptoms of stroke, headache, and loss of function, either confusion, difficulty finding words, uh, difficulty moving one side of our body. So those things that we talk about, we ask the person to smile, ask them to raise both their hands, ask them to raise both eyebrows, um, ask them to say something. And if people's brains don't seem to be working, then that would be a time for them to get health care. Or if people have severe abdominal pain or pain in their legs, chest pain or shortness of breath, usually these things are not subtle. Um, then there are some specific tests that we're recommending uh, people get, and these are um, uh, some tests to look for these antibodies that clump up the platelets, um, to look uh, to get a test called a D-dimer test, which is looking at uh, the, the chances that there's a large blood clot in your body and also uh, fibrinogen, looking at the breakdown products uh, that happen in the body after a big clot has formed or when the body's trying to break down the clot. And if those are positive, then the recommendation, which I like it when this is what the recommendation is, then we should in, involve the, um, the expertise of an expert in these things. And the name of the expert is a hematologist. Those people often are, are also called, uh, also study oncology, so it can be distressing. You can think, I just got a blood clot, why am I seeing a cancer specialist? Because people who specialize in cancer also study and treat disorders of the blood that are not at all cancerous. Um, 
And so it is, you should not think that you're getting, you have cancer if a hematology oncologist comes to see you because of concerns about a clot. Um, and that we would not use heparin as a first um, drug because heparin appears to make this worse. The deaths that have been from this have been, and the serious complications have been um, after treatment with heparin. And it's not clear to me whether we know that's because heparin was used because the disease was so severe and it would have resulted in that bad outcome or whether the heparin made it worse. But we, um, it seems that uh, after administration of heparin, several people have had their conditions suddenly worsen. And so there are other drugs we can use to prevent clotting, other things called blood thinners that can be used. And those are, it's recommended that those be used rather than heparin. Doctor, um, <clears throat> sorry, doctor. Yeah. Okay. Now, you talked about um, the the impact of, of these drugs. You've, you've, you've specifically mentioned them. But I want to find out, um, those that have been presently affected, even though data is not so clear, but based on available information and records, the, those that have actually been affected or their conditions have worsened by this, um, have been worsened by this uh, vaccines, the, the, the COVID, are they mostly people that had other health challenges or does the data show the little data you have does it show that it's just anybody who just who doesn't have any underlining um health ailment that tends to that has been affected by this particular uh, vaccine or is it just the normal pattern we see when people that have um, health morbidity have um, take this vaccine this is a great question, and we are seeing this particular complication in people we weren't expecting it in. So these are, you know, many of the case reports are previously healthy, person without a particular health challenge. They have the predominant number, the, the most of them have been women, and most of them have been during what we call reproductive years. So um, the women have been between 18 and 50. There has been uh, two additional cases reported in the United States that I have heard about, but I haven't been able to find the data, but I, I have heard a rumor that there has actually been a few men who've been um, reported to have this. The data, because the numbers have been so few, people are being careful about too many specifics because we want to protect the privacy of the individuals. Uh, but it is, I did see a mention that some of these women, but not all of them, were taking either hormone replacement therapy or uh, oral contraceptives or some other kind of hormonal contraceptive. And so there have been people who have been like, well, wait, you get blood clots when you take the birth control pill, but you don't get, I am unaware of this syndrome being associated with um, taking hormones. So other than the possibility they were taking hormones, there don't seem to be any predictors that these people were particularly ill or at risk of something happening. And, okay, um, following the recommendation by um, the health authorities that um, these vaccines be stopped for now, um, while investigations continue, do you think, um, how soon do you think we are close to arriving at this, you know, unusual um, occurrences that we're seeing. And um, if, 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 if it's identified on time, do you think it's advisable that the drugs should be readmitted once all uh, queries have been checked? 
So just to be clear, in the United States, only the Johnson & Johnson vaccine has been paused. So the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccines are still being given at the same pace to the same people in the same way. And we're still watching that data come in. Um, so that is one thing. Is that, so people who would like to, and in Missouri, every person over the age of 16 qualifies to get a vaccine. The vaccines are free. You are not charged for a vaccine, and they're very available in Missouri. So anybody who would like to get a vaccine, um, even with this very rare um, complication that's very dangerous and very serious, it is still appears to be more common after infection with COVID-19 than it is after vaccination with COVID-19. Um, so, and then I am really going to, I don't think that I'm up to making an opinion about whether we should continue and in what way. I am hoping that the people who are making that decision have access to data that I do not. And I, I am hoping also, I believe to be true, that they have more time and background expertise in having looked at this, this data and um, people to debate this with. So Anthony, Dr. Anthony Fauci uh, said that he expected that we'd the Johnson & Johnson come back online maybe by the end of this week with perhaps some recommendations about whether people in certain demographics, say young women, should get a different vaccine. And I am going to guess that we will have ongoing information and that our recommendations will change as they should. Um, at least the way I want to practice medicine is that we'd see changing recommendations as the information changes. Um, I am still really glad that I got a vaccine, and um, I believe that had I not gotten a vaccine and were scheduled to get one today, that I would still be eager to get that. But uh, it's an individual decision that each person needs to make. Does that answer your question? Oh, that answered it, yes. <laughs> yes, clear. Yeah. Um, it, it, I think that, I, and I just want to also make a little, okay, I do have an opinion. I'm going to say an opinion here, and that is that um, I have been dismayed by politicizing this pandemic that has happened over the last year, and it really breaks my heart. Um, it appears that people who uh, voted for uh, our former president um, are more likely to resist getting vaccinated than people who voted for our current president. And that seems like um, that doesn't make rational sense to me as far as decision making. I totally understand it. And I'm not trying to be critical of any particular person who has any particular view. What I've noticed is that um, among my friends who are um, taking the, the pandemic seriously, wearing their masks, encouraging vaccination, that they have responded with a particular kind of anger and frustration at this pause and at this revelation that there was a complication because they're worried that other people will make a big deal out of it and it will contribute to vaccine hesitancy. And I'm going to say having a lot of patients and friends who share some vaccine skepticism, 
But I don't think that's where it comes from. It doesn't come from, oh, there was a complication with the vaccine. It comes from us not being willing to own and be honest about the fact that every medical intervention has has dangers and every medical intervention has a history of causing harm to somebody somewhere at some time, often to more people than we want to admit. And I think if we would be honest about that and then also just honest as we can be about looking at the relative risks of getting the disease versus getting the vaccine and factoring in that if that if you get the vaccine, you have a 100% chance of getting the vaccine. If you don't get the vaccine, you do not necessarily have a 100% chance at risk of getting the disease. And so um, these are nuanced decisions. And um, I don't think that um, shaming people into getting vaccinated works. Um, I uh, have continue to stand on the enthusiastic support. And I think we should convince people rather than trying to coerce them. And we should make it really easy. And I think a lot of the vaccine hesitancy and a lot of the vaccine, the slow uptake is not necessarily from vaccine hesitancy, is that we have given some really confusing messages about how to get a vaccine. You know, sign up here and then wait your turn. No, don't wait. No, here's your... So just a clear statement right now is everybody in Missouri over the age of 16 can get a vaccine. Thank and it's you. easy and they're available. Well, I'm afraid we've run out of time. Thank you we once have. again, yeah. Dr. Alleman, for your wonderful input. Thank you so much to everybody who listened, and thank you to you, Mazina. And that's it for today's edition of Community Polls. We'll be posting this particular show at kopn.org and also on Spotify and Apple Podcasts later today. You can catch the show live again on Monday at 9 a.m. Thanks for tuning in to Community Polls. Up next is Between the Lines. Stay tuned. <laughs>